Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. We ask that you'd have your way. Speak afresh in this place and grant that we hear you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm going to be looking tonight with you again. We've been dealing with this theme that God has blessed us with, and I'm excited about it. And the theme is Answers for the Struggle, Ancient Wisdom for Modern Problems. And this is part nine of a long series. And I'm going to be looking at Proverbs 9 tonight. Proverbs 9. Have your Bibles, open them up now. Open up your PDA, your telephone, your device, whatever you have. Proverbs 9. We're going to do the entire chapter over the next 60 minutes or so. I want to say a couple things about the chapter before I launch in. And I want to break the chapter into two pieces. But the first thing I want to say about the chapter is that the chapter offers us an insight or wisdom. And the chapter says, it's all about choice. Woman wisdom or woman folly. Woman wisdom or woman folly. You can either use the word folly or foolish. It's all about choice. Woman wisdom or woman folly. Now, what makes that important that you get that is, the chapter breaks up dynamically into two sections. I'm going to split it into seven when I break it down, but there are two dynamic sections. The first of which is, woman wisdom leads to life. And that's chapter nine, verses one through 12. So wisdom leads to life. Woman wisdom leads to life. I really could make it verse 11 and verse 12 as a transitional verse, but we'll leave it that way now, although I will break down verse 12 separately later. The second section is woman folly leads to death. And that's Proverbs 9 verses 13 through 18. Now, remember, in this section of Proverbs, we now have a, a uh, contrast, a comparison and contrast of two women, and these women are personifications of what goes on. The first woman personification or female personification is that of, one, of, a, of wisdom. The second female personification is that of foolishness or folly. And it's important that you see that because they are contrasted against each other. Again, one leads to life the other leads to death. In some ways, chapter nine is a summary of the first eight chapters we have studied. It becomes a summary statement. And so I'm gonna do a couple things during this summary time. I'm gonna talk now to the seven pillars of Proverbs nine. 
seven pillars of Proverbs 9. And by pillars, I mean the seven things that hold Proverbs 9 up. The seven things that hold Proverbs 9 in place. Very interestingly enough, we begin at verse 1, and we're going to look at verses 1 and 2. Verse 1 says, Wisdom has built her house. And the Amplified Version says, Spacious and sufficient. She has hewn out and set up her seven pillars. She has prepared her food. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. It's really interesting here that it lays out a, a banquet feast, if you will, of good wine and good food on a set table. You know, generally, table settings are referred, referred to banquets. Most people don't do table settings. If you're at home for dinner on a regular occasion, people simply grab a fork and get a plate of food, and they may go sit at the kitchen table or the dining room table. But at special occasions, sometime at Thanksgiving or, or, or Christmas, or sometime when you have family gathering in for a special dinner, you put the settings out. And so this is a set meal with the good cloth, the good china, if you will. And it's, wisdom has made a banquet provision. The number seven often symbolizes fullness and completion. So she's, she's, made, her, she's made her house ready, and the house has seven pillars. So, so that number symbolizes fullness and completion. Uh, the, the, these, these symbol here would be that it offers a complete picture of something that is about to happen. Now, now in ancient times, and, and one of the facts that have been discovered of late, that, that ancient Nineveh and Shinarab's New Year Festival House was discovered in recent years to have seven pillars. And maybe this could be an allusion to those seven pillars that a banquet house, a festive house might have. But then there's another kind of idea about what are the seven pillars of wisdom. This text does not offer a direct line into the seven pillars of wisdom, but there is one text that has been accepted by the church universal as having the seven spirits of God, which is enumerated in Isaiah 11 and 2, called the seven wisdom pillars. I don't think they're at all related to this text, but I thought it'd be interesting for me to throw it in here so at least you'd know about them. Let me read Isaiah 11 and 2. It says, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge 
and of the reverential and obedient fear of the Lord. Now, I think you can see the illusion here going forward into the New Testament. But let's just break those seven down. You have the spirit of the Lord, number one. You have the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of strength, the spirit of knowledge, and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Those are the seven pillars there found in Isaiah 2, Isaiah 11 and 2. Again, I'm not suggesting that they're the seven pillars being thought of here in Proverbs. I think more than likely, one has to recognize that Proverbs wants you to realize that wisdom has made herself available and that the banquet imagery puts forth the idea of how accessible wisdom is, but also how elaborately wisdom is prepared for us. New Testament uh, offers some thoughts on wisdom. James 1 and 5. James 1 and 5 says to you, if any of you lacks wisdom, that is to guide him through a decision or a circumstance, he is to ask of our benevolent God who gives to everyone generously without rebuke or blame and it, it will be given to him. If you lack wisdom, ask. God wants to give it to you. Not withholding anything. No shame, no rebuke, no blame. Come on and ask. The only reason you don't have it, you have not because you ask not. James 3 17 offers something else. It says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, morally and spiritually undefiled, then peace-loving, that is courteous and considerate, gentle, reasonable, and willing to listen, full of compassion and good fruits. It is unwavering and without self-righteous hypocrisy and self-serving guile. God wants us to have divine wisdom. And here in this text, what we have first before us is wisdom's investment. And, and, and the reason it is, it is, it is there, wisdom's investment, is it wants to say to us, that God has put a lot into giving us wisdom. Over and abundant, his desire is for us to have it. Pillar number one, wisdom's investment. God wants us to have it. Freely he wants to give it. Freely he wants to bless us with it. 
Freely God wants us to have it as a part of the dynamic makeup of our life and structure. And there is no reason for us to function in ignorance or in naivete when we can ask of God for divine wisdom. Problem with us? We don't ask. I got one other thing about this wisdom and these seven pillars. This idea of the seven pillars of wisdom could be a look back at one of the old festival houses and how magnificent it was. But it could also be a look further back at creation. And that the seven pillars of wisdom could be the seven days of creation. That what we see now is God's created order. The world and they that dwell therein. Which would mean that if we want to know how to function within it, we need to get God's wisdom. I like that idea. To know how to function within it is to get God's wisdom, is to hold on to it. So the seven pillars of wisdom may simply be a nod to the seven days of creation. In order to know how to live in it, we may have to think about what God has already done. Now, now, now that's the first pillar in the text, verses one and two. The second pillar of Proverbs 9. And remember now, I'm saying these are pillars. These are foundational principles out of Proverbs 9 that I'm calling pillars, so stay with me. The second pillar, pillar number two, is wisdom's invitation. Wisdom's invitation. Now, I know I'm giving you a lot of numbers tonight, and so I hope those of you who are taking those wonderful copious notes can keep up with the differences that I'm offering, and I know that's a lot, but stay with me. The second pillar in Proverbs 9 is wisdom's invitation. Let me read the invitation, beginning at verse 3. She has sent out her maidens, she calls from the highest places of the city. Whoever is naive or inexperienced, let him turn in here. As for him who lacks understanding, she says, come, eat my food. Drink my wine I have mixed and accept my gifts. Leave behind your foolishness and the foolish and live and walk in the way of insight and understanding. Oh, how beautiful is this divine invitation to come to wisdom's banquet seat. Notice now, she sent out her maidens those who would be in service to her, to go out to the places where those who are naive, those who are lost, those who need help and support, 
anyone who would come. You may even be in foolishness. So she says, leave behind the foolishness. Come with me. Come to something better. Come with me. Come, come to the better life. Come to the better life. Come live your best life. Verse 6 says, leave it behind. And, and I ought to say this to you for those of you who are, uh, are believing you are above and not beneath to the point where you don't need uh, anybody to teach you your past that. Let me help you here. You need to realize that we all ought to continuously be approaching wisdom and sitting at the table and saying, feed me till I want no more. We need it. We need to leave behind. And, 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 and I don't know how long you've been saved. Some of you have been saved for quite a while. Some of you have, have lived this life a long time. But it does not mean you've left all your foolishness behind. Some of us are still struggling with foolishness. We know it's foolishness. And we have to be wise enough to realize what the foolishness is and leave it behind. I, I, as I was deeply embedded in this text, you could almost hear, you could almost envision the proverb of Jesus. You can almost hear that proverb as Jesus offers that wonderful part for the believer. And he says, I'm going to give you this wonderful parable. Look with me real quick. I'm going to use the New King James Version. Luke chapter 14. Luke 14. And when you get Luke 14, drop down to verse 15. Luke 14, 15 through 24. Now when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is he who shall eat in the kingdom of God. Then he said to him, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said, I bought a piece of ground. I must go see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I am going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city. And he said, go out and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to his servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those who were invited shall taste my supper. It is, it is important when you, when you think about it, 
that the banquet imagery gives us another glimpse of God's divine invitation to come in, come in, come closer to me, come dine with me, come sup with me, come be connected to me, glean from me. I'm ready to pour out to you. This is so important that we grapple with it in our own spirits and in our own minds. And wisdom calls. She gives an invitation. Come on. All is ready. Um, I remember we sing a song, Come Over Here, where the table is spread and the feast of the Lord is going on. And we get, come over here. Well, and the feast of the Lord. You need, to, you need to realize that there is a place at the banquet table and the table of wisdom. Number three, the third one, the third one is, is, is this, wisdom's insight. Pillar three, wisdom's insight. And I put on here, some folks are stuck on stupid. You, you need to realize there are some people you can't help. You're, some people are not going to get it. Some people are not going to come into wisdom. They're not going to come into knowledge. They have no sense. They have no, no regard for, for godly counsel or wisdom. Look at verse 7 and 8. Well, 7, 8, and 9. He who corrects and instructs a scoffer gets dishonor for himself. For he who rebukes a wicked man gets insults for himself. So if you try to tell a wicked man right from wrong, all he'll do is cuss you out. Do not correct a scoffer who foolishly ridicules and takes no responsibility for his error, or he will hate you. Correct a wise man who learns from his errors, and he'll love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will become even wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase his learning. Wisdom's insight is this, that you can tell how a person is made up by their ability to be reproved, their ability to, be, to, to take instruction, their ability to receive correction. You know, um, verse 8, the, there's a note in the Amplified Version that talks to the old rabbis took this to be a, a, a mandate. They took it to be a commandment. So much so that they would, they would think that it was, you were breaking the law if you would try to correct an idiot, a foolish person. Because the text says in verse 8, do not even bother to correct the scoffer. Don't even do it. Don't even do it. There are some folks that are stuck on stupid that you just don't have, you don't, don't waste your mind, don't waste your time. 
If, you, if you've offered sound advice, sound judgment, sound wisdom, or pointed them in the direction of it and they wouldn't take it, you don't get upset. You know, over the years, I've been pastoring since 1985. Over the years, I've given out some really great advice. I can tell you that at least half of it hadn't been taken. The half that took it were blessed. The half that didn't endured what they endured. Some people come back and apologize, said, Bishop, I wish I had listened to you. Don't need to apologize to me. God bless you. I'm just glad you see it now. I wish you didn't have to go through what you went through. We, we, God gave you a word of wisdom. Or I told you to go and check with this one before you made that move. I pointed you to the point of this, this investment advisor before you put your resources there. I told you that I don't know that area, but this advisor over here can at least walk you through it. But you thought you knew better, so you made a bad investment. That's okay. Sometimes what you've got to do is recognize that wisdom doesn't always take with everybody that receives it. But the wise one, the wise one, they become wiser. The righteous increase their learning. That's all you got to do. Say, hey, all I want to do is be a blessing. I don't want, hey, I'm not trying to hurt nobody. I want to help you. And let me, let me give this to you. The one thing you have to know is what you don't know. And one of the ways in which I know when someone's wise is when they, when they say to automatically, I don't have any information in that area. Let me point you to it. Let me get you to someone that does. Because knowing what you don't know is as important as what you do know. Because when you think you know and you don't know, you are wise in your own eyes, and therefore you are foolish. I don't want to take too much time. I got to work this out. Pillar number four, pillar number four, is wisdom's instruction. Wisdom's instruction. It's in verses 10 and 11. The reverent fear the Lord. That is, worshiping him and regarding him as truly awesome is the beginning and the preeminent part of wisdom. It's the starting point. It's the essence. The, the, the shorthand way of saying KJV is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The reverence of God is the beginning of wisdom. And there's some people who don't fear God or man. You, you have to recognize that the more you learn how to reverence God and praise God, fear God, the more blessed you're going to be. Sometimes some people who don't fear God, they go and do their own thing. And guess what? Their own thing gets them in trouble. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding and spiritual insight. For by me, that is wisdom from God, your days will be multiplied and the years of your life will be increased. The, the, the instruction is learn to reverence God. 
Reverence God in all things. Reverence God in every area of your life. Learn to honor God. Learn, learn, learn that God is important to you. Don't, don't take God for granted. Don't act as though I can go it on my own now. I got money now, I don't need God. The more money you have, more problems you have. Don't think money is going to solve problems. Money, it may be a solution to some problems, but it doesn't give you health. It doesn't give you love. It doesn't give you happiness. It may give you a lover, but it won't give you love. You've got to recognize that the fear of the Lord, the acknowledgement of the presence of God, the reverence of all things of God, the knowledge of the Holy One is the deeper spiritual insight. It's going to come with God's, God's wisdom with it. And guess what it does? The text says, hey, the more you learn how to reverence God and God's wisdom, the more you will get life on your years and years in your life. I said life on your years and years in your life. Because see, longevity of years could be meaningless if they're not full, if they're not joyous, if they're not happy, if God is not in them. You want to have life in your years. You want to have joy and peace in your years. You want God to give you extension of time on earth? Oh, well and good. But what is it to live a long time if you're going to be miserable? You want life. And life comes with having peace. See, some people think that life is the ability to run 10 miles or the ability to go to Rio or the ability to fly to Paris or what. No, no, no. Having peace is life. I know so many people who can do things and they have things, but they have no peace. They have no rest behind their eyelids. Their days are disturbed. Their minds are disturbed. And any minor catastrophe makes them crazy because they have no peace. You've got to learn the instruction of wisdom is to fear God. It is the beginning of wisdom. It is the preeminent part of wisdom. But it is also the very essence of wisdom. It is the essence of wisdom. Godly fear. And here is that transitional word that I talked about. Verse 12. As I told you, we break it up 1 through 12 and 13 through 18. But verse 12 is really a transitional word. It's a transitional sentence. And it is pillar 5. Pillar 5 is wisdom's inability wisdom's inability there's some things that wisdom can't do 
If you are wise, verse 12 says, you are wise for yourself. It is for your own benefit. If you scoff thoughtlessly, ridicule and disdain, you alone will pay the penalty. Wisdom, no matter how she offers herself to us, cannot make us take her. No matter what feast she puts before us, cannot make us eat, cannot make us come in. You must make the decision. I go back to the top. This sentence is the transitional sentence that reminds us it's all about choice. You choose, and your choice is for your benefit, which means that the wrong choice is for your demise. Your choice is to your benefit. You're the one that's going to benefit from wisdom. I don't care if everybody around you doesn't have it. You're still going to benefit from it. But if you choose wrongly, the same person that would have benefited from wisdom will pay the penalty of foolishness. There's a price to be paid for entering the house of folly. You pay the price. So it's either peace or the penalty. Peace or the penalty. Yes, peace removes stress. Peace in the midst of stressful situations. Peace when the world around you is in chaos. I shift now to the last two principles as we close this chapter out tonight. I, 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 I'm, pillar number six is what I want to call, and this is from the chapter now, pillar six is the folly of enfaglement. Enfaglement. The folly of enfaglement. And I know some of you will say, I don't know that word, Reverend. That's okay. The folly of enfaglement. What do you mean, Reverend? Folly's enfaglement is her ability to bring you into enticement. Enfaglement means to lure, to entice, to flatter with artful talk or inducements. And the foolish woman, the folly woman, let's go to her. She begins in verse 13 and we'll read down to verse 16. Verse 13, the foolish woman is restless and noisy. She is naive and easily misled and thoughtless and knows nothing at all of eternal value. 
She sits at the doorway of her house on a seat by the high and conspicuous places of the city, calling to those who pass by, who are making their path straight. Whoever is naive or inexperienced, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks understanding, and the, and the Amplified Version says, who lacks common sense, she begins to talk. Understand this. While this, this uh, uh, folly of enfeeblement is pictured and the folly is pictured as a woman, she comes in every gender form. Whatever the nomenclature you want to use, she's there. There are, there are men who sit in places, who speak into the ears of the foolish and entice them into their bedrooms, into their lairs. There are women who do the same thing. But nowadays, we also are caught up into the, that other, I, I, I was gonna call it a woman, but that other thing that has these same enticement qualities, that thing of, of commercialism, of materialism, that thing, capitalism, that always flatters us with new commercials of things that you must have and buy and be, of influencers who tell us that you must have this latest thing in order to live a life of joy, the latest toy, the latest this, the latest that, or if everybody else has it and you don't have it, you, you're missing out, and so you live a life of FOMO. Yes, FOMO, the fear of missing out, F-O-M-O. And there are a lot of us who are in the FOMO-ness of life. We have been worried and fearing of missing out so much that the enticements of this enfuegoment society. What do you think they do when they make a commercial? They are seeking to entice you, to lure you. Was it last summer? Everybody was running to get a chicken sandwich from Popeyes. So much so they ran out of chicken. How does a chicken restaurant run out of chicken? But it was so enticing. Everybody, every influencer, oh my God, it's the best chicken sandwich ever. The fear of missing out. The folk fighting in Popeyes to get a $4 chicken sandwich. We live in a world full of enfeeblement, full of these enticements. The foolish woman, the foolish man, always looking to lure us in and bring us in 
They're in the high places. They're always in vibrant colors looking to be seen. They're always looking to catch your attention. They sit in conspicuous places. She's in her doorway. She may be the call girl. She may be the prostitute. He may be the gigolo. He may be a male prostitute. They're always somewhere around. And some of them are not working pros, but they're just nasty. You got it. Always there. Calling to those who pass by, making their path straight. Calling to those who would have walked in the straight and narrow, but instead to the naive and those who lack common sense, she calls him in. The latest in Fuego Men is this Bitcoin thing that has been getting people to give their last dollar trying to be rich overnight. I'm not suggesting that there are not legitimate Bitcoin operations, but I can tell you wherever an unregulated industry is, there will be nefarious characters who will seek and find ways to rob the poor who look at the inducement and enticement of something that looks quick and good and fast and will rob them of the very substance of their lives. All for the FOMO, for the fear of missing out. The foolish woman calls them. It's the folly of that enticement that brings them in. I close with the seventh one. I close. I don't want to. I don't want to hold you too long. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. You, you, you've got to know, Regina. You're so right. You got to know that there are some folk who can sell ice to Eskimos. There are some folk who can sell you on a dream that's really going to be a nightmare. Last pillar of this text, and there are two verses left. Pillar number seven is the folly's iniquity. Follies, iniquity. Here's what she says. She says, come here, baby. Stolen waters, pleasures are sweet. Because they are forbidden, they sweeter. And the bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Stolen waters are sweet. Ah, be, be, because it's taboo. Because it's forbidden. We can sneak. So I creep. Yeah. He doesn't know what I do. And no one is supposed to know. folly of stolen waters are sweet because they are forbidden. Bread eaten in secret. 
You, you know, when you were a kid, I know you played those games. I got a secret. You got a secret. I got a secret. Yeah, there's something enticing about secrets. The secrets we keep and the lies we tell. At some point, verse 18 says, but he doesn't know that the spirits of the dead are there. Hold it. Wait a minute. He says, she's inviting him in to her banquet. Now, she, she didn't even tell him. I, I, she ain't made no table spread. Didn't redo her house for him or anything. And this one here, she just saying, it's going to be good because you sneaking a piece. She, the bread eating the secret. Not, not even the banquet. Just some bread. Just some bread. It could be some light bread, wonder bread. Just some bread. Not even a good biscuit for mama with some gravy on it. Just some bread. No banquet. No sweet wine mixed. Just some bread. We sell out for a little bit of bread. But he doesn't know that where he's going, the dead are there. The spirits of the dead are there. And that her guests are already in the depths of hell, of Sheol, the netherworld place of the dead. When you enter into this iniquity, you have already signed your death warrant. And therefore, you have not only made yourself death eligible, you have doomed your existence to the netherworld. So choose woman wisdom which leads to life or woman folly which leads to death you choose it's your choice the one thing you gotta know is Janet was right you're in control now you gotta decide what you gonna do with the power because you got it. It's your choice. Woman wisdom, life, or woman folly, death. And the death is not the physical death. It is the death of the soul. It is where you now begin to separate yourself from the very presence of God that really should be your heart's desire. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. 
Well, God bless you, saints. I, I pray God talk to you and you're blessed by being in this dialogue tonight. I love you all with the love of the Lord. I just want to take a moment now to just thank God for each one of you listening in to this Bible study tonight. If you're listening to us tonight and you decide, I like that church, I want to be a part of that family, I want you to contact us. Get in touch with us here. There are several ways you can get in touch with us. Email us or call us, 860-443-6046, extension 110, and say, hey, I want to be a part of that ministry. God bless each one of you. Let me invite you now to give as unto the Lord in this benevolent gift right here. Whatever you give tonight, we give it back into the community. Give as unto the Lord. Our deacon and deaconess have done a great job honoring God with our finances throughout this pandemic, being a blessing to everyone. And I pray God will allow you to be a blessing to the ministry. Of course, you know there are three ways to give. You can give by Givelify or by Cash App or by old-fashioned mail, but give as unto the Lord. Amen. God blesses the gene. You're right. It's your thing. Do what you want to do. I can't tell you who to sock it to. Amen. You, you've got to realize this is the way it goes. I love each one of you, and I thank God for you. Thank you for joining us here tonight. Continue to pray for each other. Continue to pray for your church. I'll be on tomorrow at 1 o'clock on the prayer line. Join me for prayer tomorrow, 1 p.m., community prayer, 1 p.m. on the prayer line. Look forward to seeing you. I can't say enough thank yous to our youth department, to our audio ministry, to our music department, to all of the saints for Sunday. Wow, wow, wow. I'll thank you again on Sunday when I see you. But what a wonderful, tremendous worship for, for Resurrection Sunday. Thank you so much. God bless you all. Thank you for joining us here tonight. This has been a great time in the name of the Lord. I love you with the love of the Lord. You won't change my mind. Thank you, Sister Candy. God bless you. Thank you, Roberta, and all of those of you who are taking notes online. I appreciate you because I know I'll be going fast, and your notes help keep people in line. God bless you. We love you all with the love of the Lord. Go in peace tonight, and may the peace of God go with you. You know what I always say. Shalom. <laughs>